Hello and welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Niall Boyce, the editor of the Lancet Psychiatry. Now, as I've said before, as the editor of a psychiatric journal, you have no need to court controversy. If you wait around long enough, it comes to you. I'm joined today over the line by Michael Schoenenberg of the University of Tübingen, Germany, to discuss his group's new research paper, Neurofeedback, Sham Neurofeedback, and Cognitive Behavioral Group Therapy in Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, a triple-blind, randomized controlled trial. Hello, Michael. Hello. So the first question I have about this this paper, which you've just published in, in The Lancet Psychiatry, is this. What is neurofeedback, and why would clinicians think it might work for adult ADHD? So neurofeedback is a special form of biofeedback, and it was discovered in the late 1960s as a um, treatment for epilepsy. And neurofeedback means that brain waves are measured and then feedback to the patient. So during a typical uh, neurofeedback session, EEG electrodes are placed on the scalp of the patient, and these electrodes then measure the electrical activity that's coming from the brain. And then these signals are sent to a computer where they are processed and the, the, the brainwave frequencies of interest, for instance, in the current study, the tether or the, the, the better activity, are then turned into visual effects, which um, the person can see on a computer screen. And all this is done in real time, so people see exactly what is going on in their brain while they are thinking certain thoughts, feel stressed or feel relaxed. So... Normally, it's, of course, not possible to, to influence brainwave patterns because we are simply not aware of them. But when we can see our brainwaves on the computer screen, we might be able to learn how to influence and, and how to change them. And this is what neurofeedback is all about. It allows you to, to retrain certain brain patterns that have been associated with mental diseases. Okay, so you can see your brain waves. The theory is that this gives you the ability to maybe alter them a bit uh, because you have that visualization. And, and how would this work with ADHD? Well, there have been a lot of studies that show that patients with ADHD show specific alterations in their brainwave activity. And one of the most constantly reported findings is uh, the increased absolute power in the, in the Tether EEG band. And what we know about tether activity is that it reflects drowsiness or, or more general uh, cortical flowing. For example, a person who has taken time off from a task and begins to daydream is often in a, in a tether brainwave state. And another finding in ADHD is that those patients show decreased beta wave activity in the, in the resting state EEG. And we know that beta waves are characteristics of a strongly engaged mind. For example, a person in an active conversation would be in a, in a better brainwave state. And there are findings that suggest that ADHD symptoms relate to increased tether and decreased better activity in the resting state EEG. And what, what new feedback now does is to visualize these brainwave patterns to the patient so that the patient can learn to, to influence the, the, the brain activity, which is in this case to decrease uh, tether and to increase uh, the, the better activity. There have been a, a great number of studies that show that this tether better neurofeedback leads to a large decrease of ADHD symptoms in, in children and in adolescents. So what we know is that neurofeedback works in ADHD, but what we don't know is how it actually works. 
because most of the previous studies focused only on symptom improvement and included no or, or only waiting list control groups in their designs. So we don't know if the improvement in ADHD symptoms is due to, to the effects of neurofeedback on brain activity or if it's due to, to unspecific factors. Uh, perhaps we, we can come back to this later. So what we can say is that neurofeedback in ADHD works, but there's a really strong need to understand the, the mechanism behind, uh, behind the training. And this, this leads us to the really striking first sentence of your, your methods section, just looking at the, the summary of your paper, where you say, we did a concurrent triple-blind randomized controlled trial using authorized deception. So what is authorized deception? Why did you use it in this study? So authorized deception means that we told patients that they were not informed in detail about all procedures and um, about the specific aims of the study, but that we will explain all aspects to them at the end of the study. So participants in our study were not aware that there was actually a sham feedback in a group included in the design. And I think that it's quite important because Previous studies have shown that if participants were aware of the existence of sham control group and if they know that they have a 50% chance to receive sham feedback during the therapy, then this could have negative effects on, on the motivation of all participants in the study. So what you've got in this study are three groups. They're all adults who have a diagnosis of ADHD. And... Um, what you're really presenting to them, you're randomizing them to three different interventions. So what are those interventions? So, yes, in the present study, we, we aim to, to investigate the, the effects of neurofeedback on, on self-reported and, and more objective outcomes um, like, like brainwave activity and neuropsychological variables. And, and in addition, we, we, we wanted to know if, if uh, neurofeedback outperforms a sham or a placebo feedback condition where an unrelated EEG signal is feedback to, to the patient. And what we expected to find was that, that neurofeedback should be better than, than this placebo condition where participants should not be able to learn to regulate their brain states. And so we expected to find changes in EEG activity only in the Verum condition. So your, your sham neurofeedback group, what does sham neurofeedback look like? So in the in this sham condition, we, we feedbacked the signal from a participant in the, who was in the, the active um, neurofeedback condition. So that this participant in the, in the sham condition um, actually received no, no real signal. Okay, and so, so in each of these groups, you've got your, your neurofeedback, your sham neurofeedback, who, who have what looks on the screen like, like neurofeedback but isn't, and then a, a group having metacognitive therapy, and uh, you've got, let's see, you've got 38 in one group, 39 in another, 41 in another. You put them through these uh, interventions and then you measured them at, at follow-up. So you went before treatment, then uh, an eight-week mid-treatment point, and then um, 16 weeks after tre treatment, and then six months later. So what did you find? We found a large and a highly significant decrease in ADHD symptoms in the neurofeedback group. And we also found improved cognitive functioning in this group, which means that patients in this condition after the training were more able to, to concentrate on a specific task. 
But what we also found was that both other treatments, the sham treatment and the, the metacognitive training group, led to comparable results. So we were not able to demonstrate that neurofeedback is superior to sham feedback or to, to group psychotherapy. And we were also not able to show that neurofeedback had an effect on brainwave activity. So theta and beta activity did not change across assessments. So we can say that in our study, we found that new feedback was effective in reducing ADHD symptoms in adults, but the effects of the training are not specific. They are unrelated to, to changes in brain activity. So what you've, what you've found is that there is an effect, but it it's doesn't seem to be specific to neurofeedback, that all of these interventions more or less seem to be associated with an improvement. Yes, exactly. Uh, so... so what our study shows is that the effects of, of neurofeedback on ADHD symptoms are not mediated by, by lasting changes in brain activity induced by the training. So what we think is that unspecific effects, such as positive expectation or fascination with, with brain sciences, might better explain why neurofeedback works in ADHD. So when we started with our study, there were a lot of TV shows that reported about neurofeedback and all participants that we enrolled in the study were all highly motivated. But it could also be that, that other factors might, might account for the strong effects of neurofeedback. So we instructed the participants to, to sit still during the training sessions and to stay focused. And it could be that, that these factors might also have, have an effect on, on our outcomes. So, so in effect, part of what you might term the, the, the theatrical nature of the, the treatment, the actual circumstances of the treatment, rather than changes in the brain waves themselves, could be responsible for some of the effect that, that we're seeing here. And, and what implication does this have for neurofeedback in general? I think we, we have to better understand what, what exactly works in, in neurofeedback before we should recommend neurofeedback to, to patients and, and therapists. And what, what our study is also showing is that, that psychotherapy is, is a highly effective and, and cost-efficient uh, approach to, to treat ADHD in adults. So I think we should, should have good arguments why we should treat patients with a therapy that is far more expensive and, and time-consuming. So this also is an implication for, for the treatment of adult ADHD. It, it suggests a slight change maybe in what doctors uh, can recommend to patients and how they can help them to arrive at the best treatment for them. Yes, well, um, another thing is that, that we investigated this specific form of, of neurofeedback uh, in, in our study but, but, of course, there are also other kinds of neurofeedback that have been shown to be effective in ADHD and in, in other mental illnesses. So I think the next step should be to, to explore the exact mechanism of, of action behind those protocols by conducting large double-blind RCTs. And if then turns out that, that the current new feedback protocols are based on placebo or on unspecific effects, then it would be interesting to, to better understand what particular unspecific factors play a role in, in mediating the, the positive treatment uh, effects we, we see in our study. So, in summary, neurofeedback is not all about the brain waves. Yes, I, I think so. And as I said, 
we, we have to, to learn uh, to understand the mechanism uh, be behind this, this form of treatment. All right. Well, plenty to work with there, plenty to think about. Um, thank you very much, Michael, for joining us today. You can read Michael's paper online at our website, which is lancet.com slash psychiatry. I hope you'll join us again next time for another Lancet Psychiatry podcast. But for now, thank you and goodbye.